0: Welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast, a podcast for farmers and ranchers ready to shift for a stronger future. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful are not. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, you'll hear how producers of all sizes and practices are moving mountains for things they believe in, all in the name of an industry that keeps growing and innovating for a stronger food system and stronger farm families. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to discuss where producers are finding success, challenging the status quo, striving for better, and keeping our heritage alive, all while producing the food we depend on. Welcome back to Farming on Purpose. Today, I have Ashley Como, who is a native of Rooks County, Kansas, with me. And Ashley, along with her husband, Adam, are the owners of Brands Market. Ashley attended Fort Hayes State University for her bachelor's degree and earned her Juris Doctorate at Washburn uh, University School of Law. And Ashley works full time with Jeter Law Firm in Hayes. And her husband works for Ellis County EMS. But in 2018, they purchased the historic Brant's Meat Market, which is located in Lucas, Kansas, from the Brant family. Soon after, they expanded to a second storefront located in Plainville, where they reside. And the business has been the recipient of several statewide awards. Very well-known, very well-loved in Kansas and beyond, I believe. Um, A lot of people come through and stop by because they are listed as one of the Eight Wonders of Kansas Commerce, um, which was selected by the Kansas Sampler Foundation. And then you guys were also named the 2021 North Central Kansas Regional Retail Business by the Kansas Department of Commerce. So lots of accolades to you guys' name. I'm so excited to dive into the story of what Purchasing brands market has been like for you, and what you guys are doing with it now. So, Ashley, I'll let you fill in the gaps and tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you're up to right now.
1: Sure, I think you covered most of the the highlights. Um, like you said, I, I work as an attorney full time during the day. My husband works as a paramedic, um, not only for Ellis County EMS actually, but also for Rooks County EMS, um, where he is the assistant director in our home county, and um, Between those two things alone, we stay pretty busy, and then you throw a meat market in on top of that. Um, Luckily, Adam's schedule really allows for it, since he works a rotating shift schedule with Ellis County. He is in Plainville every other day, um, and when he goes off shift for four days in a row, and that allows him to get into the meat market, really um, check in on things, help with production, get our ordering in place, and make sure that everything is running smoothly. Beyond that, I handle all of our marketing. Um, I do a lot of the bookkeeping, not all of it, and um, just kind of behind the scenes, keep the business going um, as well. So there is a lot that goes into running a business that as we've learned in the past five years, and and I think that we're fortunate that we have the flexible schedules that we do that allow us to still bring in full-time income and have a business as well. That's um, very key to a lot of people that listen to this
0: podcast, the off farm income or the income that supports the growing ag business. Um, I don't know how a lot of folks make it without that. It makes things a lot
1: easier to make business decisions when you have that to rely on. Yes, it, it really does make a difference. I think that if we were um, if we were going to rely entirely on our business, we would definitely have to um, let go of key staff. And, and having that support staff has really been huge for us. Um, it's prevented us from burning out on the business. Um, it, it really um, we've learned from them. Um, we have, we have two store managers, one in Lucas and one in Plainville, and they both have come to us with prior experience, either in retail or working in grocery. And so those have been huge. Um, we also have a production manager now in Plainville, and that has been really important and has played a major role in Adam, especially not burning out, um, early on in the business. So, um, that, that income also allows us to, I think, um, maintain, a, a healthy relationship with our business, and and making sure that we have the income that we need to show on reports when we go talk to the bank about, hey, we'd like a line of credit, or, you know, talking to the bank about we're ready to buy out our investor, and you know, every time they're going to have you personally guarantee that, and if everything depends on the success of this one entity, they're going to look at it a lot differently than, oh, hey, they also have this solid income on the side. So while it can be a lot on our plates at times, it definitely provides stability. Absolutely. And that
0: stability, it like you mentioned, not only financially, but in terms of just lifestyle and how you approach the business is huge. I think a lot of folks, um, especially in ag, when we start a business or a farm, we're like, oh, I'm going to be totally self-sufficient. Like this is all me and I'm going to rely on nobody uh, just
1: because we're that independent. Kind of person. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. Um mm-hmm. that can that can really be grueling and and hard to deal with during slow seasons because I think everyone in ag experience experiences a slow season. Um whether we're we're retail like we are or whether you're out working in the fields, you have those off seasons and um even for us as we sit down and look at sales every day or every week, it you know Helps to know, well, you know if if money is getting tight next month, we know that we have something else to pull from if we ever needed to. We're very fortunate that we have a business with a lot of history that cash flows itself that has really stood on its own feet from day one. And so, um I can't imagine being a startup business or you know, running a family farm where everything depends on that one business um doing well especially when when things get tight yeah the diversification there so important yes.
0: well tell us a little bit more about the history of brand's market and what that was like when you guys decided to purchase
1: it and what, what was that experience that you had Sure. So for those who don't know, Brandt's Meat Market um, has a long history. It was founded in 1922 in Lucas, Kansas. It actually goes back even further than that. It was Harrison's Meat Shop before that. Um, And from what I understand, James Brandt, he immigrated from Czechoslovakia. In the early 1900s um, to the Wilson community, which is well known as the Czech capital of Kansas. And he was working there as a butcher. It's what he was trained to do in Czechoslovakia. And the Lucas um, meat shop came up for sale and it was available. So he decided to take the risk and moved his family to the nearby community of Lucas to to start Branson Meat Market in 1922. So our building actually goes back even further as a meat market um then 1922 but brant's meat market itself um dates back to that year and so what james brant became known for pretty quickly was his meats and original recipes that he brought with him from czechoslovakia so the ring bologna later on um pepper sausage i think that was a second generation recipe actually um of george brant um the smoked sausage and then ether nitzy which looks like Jatter nice. We get asked a lot by our customers what is jatter nice? Um, it's Ethernitzy, <laughs> which is a Czech recipe as well. So um, I think that it says a lot about the recipes and the product and the customer service that, that were always provided in Lucas, um, that this business has been in the same spot. For all of these years, um, we're actually still in the same building. We're using the same showcase. It, we can find it in photos back to about 1923, I think. Um, and that's still the showcase we use. The state is starting. To, <laughs> I think that, it, you know, they're starting to look at it pretty closely every time we get inspected. But it's every single time we we hit all requirements for cooling. And so we're fortunate to have that really um, special vintage piece of of our store um, still in place and still working so um, then the the Brant family carried it through three full generations um, of store ownership four generations worked in the store um, at the time that we purchased it the fourth generation uh, was currently working in the store Um, but when the brands closed or announced that they were closing in early 2018 um, I think they sold out of product in one day, and they didn't expect to. I think that they they had a big run and, and they ran out of product in about one day and it shut down in January of 2018. So uh, my husband and I reached out to the owners um, just on a whim. I think that everybody had read about it in the paper. Um, I know they felt that they were regulated out of business. They The store saw a lot of changes over 100 years, as you might imagine everything from being regulated out of doing any kind of slaughter in the 1970s, I think, um, to the requirement for HACCP plans, um, a lot more paperwork, a lot more um, detailed inspections um, were, were coming about. And by 2018, they just felt that, you know, within their family and the staff that they had that they just couldn't keep up. And I completely understand it. I can see how that would have been difficult to make all of those changes continuously over all of those years. So when we bought the business or when we started talking to them about buying the business, we were pretty surprised to find that no one had reached out to them and asked to buy the business. Um, They had only been asked for their family recipes. Um, And so I find that kind of um, sad I think that there are a lot of successful, long-standing businesses in rural communities that if more people understood the opportunity to buy one, take it over and continue it and improve it, find ways to innovate, find ways to um, bring things up to speed for for the current year, <clears throat> so for us at the time up to 2018, um, and, and how they can be successful at that versus you know, trying to start a business from scratch. I, I just knowing what we know now, I cannot imagine starting a business from scratch. Um, having everything that we had going into this was so helpful. Um, and, and we've learned a lot on our own, but we learned more from Brand and, and getting things going and and keeping things running the way that they were. So, um, I don't know that, uh, that I've answered your question completely, but um, I feel like I'm rambling at this point. So tell me what else you'd like to know about when we bought the business. You no, know,
0: the history of Brands Meat Market is so incredible. And Um, For folks who are not around here, Lucas is not a large town.
1: No, no, it's not. Um, They have a population of less than 500 people. Um, They are the grassroots art capital of Kansas, though. And one thing that Adam and I were really surprised by when we bought the business, we knew how small it was. We also knew it was the grassroots art capital um, and that they had some visitors every year. We also knew it was really close to Wilson Lake, which brings in a lot of um, visitors every summer and some year round, but mostly in the summer, of course. And we knew it was not too far from I-70, which is important. Um, What we were shocked by, even when we were just over there every day renovating the space and getting ready to reopen, were how many tourists come into Lucas um, by the bus load, especially pre-pandemic. I would say post-pandemic, that maybe has changed slightly. But there used to be regular tour buses that would come up from Wichita or come down I-70 and take the exit to just come to the grassroots art capital. And the meat market has been the um, the benefit or has received the benefit of that uh, tourism attraction for for quite some time. The main attraction being the Garden of Eden, I think. Um, if you've never looked up or been to um, S.P. Dinsmore's Garden of Eden, it is worth a trip. It's very interesting. You have to take the tour. Um, but we're also known for the public restroom, which it happens to be two doors down from France Market. It's very unique. It's very artistic. Um, it's, uh, it's also worth a stop if you have an extra, you know, 15 minutes to go off route. It's, it's definitely a fun thing to go see. And then, of course, the Grassroots Art Museum, which is just down the street from us as well. So Lucas is a very small town. It, it definitely has more tourism than we ever dreamed not being from lucas we've been to all of the attractions um, but since we grew up 40 45 minutes away we just weren't aware of the daily traffic that it does receive so that's been very helpful Um, but on the flip side of that what we were surprised to find is that because it is so off the beaten path for anything else other than tourists we were not able to we can receive packages from UPS and FedEx. We were not able to ship out from Lucas. They will, they only send one truck through a day. Um, So we weren't able to have them come and pick up any shipments we wanted to make. We were not on the route for many large distributors for food products. So we were very limited on where we can order products from. Um, And we weren't really on the beaten path for, a lot of things, um, for but especially for finding staff. Um, so that was also difficult dealing with such a small community.
0: Absolutely. I think I remember visiting the Garden of Eden and the public restroom as a kid. My mom was really good about taking us to the beautiful things in Kansas and the special things in Kansas. And I remember I was probably like eight or nine when we went and there was um, like other tourists there. And I remember thinking like, this is a little town, not that far away from my home we're looking at a public restroom like what is happening here (laughs) but it's so special and you kind of have to see it to understand why but lots of history lots of beautiful art um so kind of going back to that day that the brands decided that they were going out of business I remember it was very sudden um and a lot of people were shocked and concerned for a longstanding treasure of Kansas to be potentially going away. Um, what was going through you guys' head
1: when you decided to reach out to them? What was that conversation like? You know, my husband had that conversation um, initially. And to be honest, I don't think it was initially our idea. Um, my father-in-law has a, a long history of preserving and saving um, old buildings. Um, he he did a lot of the renovation of downtown Hayes. Um, he's renovated several buildings at downtown Plainville and, and he um, really, I think, taught my husband but also taught me in the time that I've known him to learn to appreciate historic things, whether it's a historic business or a historic building. Um, and I think he initially said, well, we should reach out to them. And he and my husband made that phone call together. So I wasn't part of that initial conversation with Doug. But I think he was surprised, if I remember correctly, that that someone was actually asking, um, could they purchase the business or would he entertain the idea of purchasing the business? Um, because they had only been asked, hey, can we buy your recipe? Um, which is funny to me because... I now know the process and the recipe, and it would be very, very difficult to make at home, Um, if not impossible. I I really, it wouldn't turn out the same anyway, if it were made any other way, in my opinion. So I think that that's interesting. But um, obviously, the initial conversations all went well. And then the follow-up conversations um, were that it made the most sense for my husband and I to, to pursue it. And um, so we went over to Lucas and we met with Doug and Linda Brandt and their daughter Stephanie, and just sort of toured the business a few times. Started to get a feel for what their day to day was like, um, what you know, what the assets were, doing all of the due diligence that you would normally do when purchasing a business. Very cool.
0: Um, I think that. I can only imagine what a special experience that was to be able to, you know, learn not only the recipes but just all the tradition and the heritage that came with a business who's that's been in business from one family
1: for that long. I think that the key part for us was as part of the agreement Doug stayed on and trained Adam for several months um not only on making the products but just you know, having conversations and learning more about the history. And they allowed us to, um, you know, scan in their historic photos that they had, even though they wanted to keep the originals, so that we could use those as part of our marketing going forward and make sure that that story and the legacy wasn't lost. The other big part for us was that Doug's daughter, Stephanie, agreed to stay on for the first year. And so she helped us run the the store. I mean, helped us. She really ran the store for the first year and kept things running smoothly so that we were able to have that time to transition into the ownership role. It was definitely not dumped all in our laps at once. Um, The Brant family, I think, obviously had um, an interest in making sure that we were successful and that their family legacy continued. And we definitely were um, appreciative that uh, they made sure we understood how they did things. So even if we changed some parts, um, we knew where they were coming from and why it was done that way first before we jumped in and did things our way.
0: That's really special when a business can have that kind of mentorship to pass things along, to make sure that all of that isn't lost because I can only imagine what it would be like trying to answer customers' questions about the history if you just showed up
1: one day. We're like, okay, now this is ours. <laughs> exactly. I still remember learning to wrap ring bologna in butcher paper. That's for that's such a silly small thing, but so important to this business. I would not have known how to wrap the bologna in butcher paper had Stephanie not stayed on and, and taught me all of those things. So I think that um, it made all the difference that that the mentorship was there. That's awesome.
0: Well, what have things looked like since you guys have been kind of getting used to that ownership? And it's been how long now? Almost five, it's been six five and a 65 years almost. <laughs> so what have the last five years been like as you guys have grown
1: and seen some new things come your way? It's been a lot of hard work. (laughs) I think that we probably underestimated um, how hard people work in the food industry, the ag industry in general, um, because that's not... We grew up in a farming community. We both grew up with um, extended family who farmed. Um, We both grew up in the oil industry. So it's not that we don't understand the concept of hard work by any stretch, but um, to work directly in the food industry was you know, a first um, for me and um, owning a food business was definitely a first for both of us. So everything from, you know, learning production to the renovation of two buildings, we renovated the Lucas store before reopening. Um, it was important to us to maintain the history, but to make sure that the store was, you um, ours, and I think also up to standards for, at that time, 2018. Um, So what we did was we went back to a lot of the historic photos, and we actually peeled back about... I would say five layers of flooring and um, additional siding and things that had been put into the storefront over the years. You know, it was really popular to to paint and to add vinyl flooring and all of those things, especially through the 70s and 80s and even the 90s. So um, we took it all back to what it looked like in some of the early photos. So it's back to the beadboard walls. Um, We even went with the color scheme that was in place. We just had it painted over um, and refreshed it. We went back to the wood floors and we tried to just sort of, we put chalkboards back up for the menu boards and tried to really bring back some of that historic feel. So especially when tourists come in the door, they feel like they're getting a really special old school meat market experience, um, not just walking into another grocery store because we do want customers to understand we are not a grocery store. We are a specialty product store um so we renovated that space we upgraded some of the equipment um and honestly we we learned right away that first of all my husband driving back and forth 45 minutes each way was not going to work because the production calendar for a lot of the products takes three to four days um from the time that we start Buying and cutting up the meat and getting things ready for the bologna and the pepper sausage and the smoked sausage to the time that it's actually packaged and ready to go out the door, it takes a full week. And so he was going back and forth every day or as often as he could with his work schedule. Um, on top of that, it's such an old building. The space was very limited, and as I'm sure you can imagine, the the regulations and the equipment that we would use have changed significantly since the early 1900s. So um, we started looking for a space in Plainville pretty quickly and came across a restaurant that had been closed for about I think at that time it had been closed six or seven years. So the bank owned the building, the roof was falling in. We. Um, We got a decent deal on it. Actually, I think the bank had sold it to someone who decided it was too much of a project. So I take that back. We didn't buy it from the bank, but we bought it from someone who had purchased it from the bank and realized this is a big project. So um, we actually um, bought that building, I want to say in like September or October of the same year in 2018. And, um, And we immediately put on a new roof. So we had to go all the way down to The decking um, to have a new roof built back on and renovated that space for the better part of 2019 Um, but now we are so fortunate to have a a much larger kitchen it's at least three times the size of the kitchen in lucas Um, it's you know we've been able to add a lot of equipment that have helped us to increase our production because something that the store was very limited by was the space um, and it was limited by the equipment that that Doug had in place. So everything is still made by hand. Everything is still overseen, you know, one item at a time. But in order to make enough to keep up with demand, we really needed some more modern equipment and and some more space. So we were able to get all of that in place by the end of 2019. And um And that's when we started adding more staff was when we got the Plainville location up and going. And it really worked out for us because we got the Plainville location open full time. I think the first week of February in 2020, which, as you know, is right about the time COVID hit. So um, as everything sort of shut down we were really lucky to have that Plainville location because our Lucas sales, as you might imagine, that depends so much on tourism, nosedived. And the Plainville location really saved the business because as people stopped going out to shop, um, Plainville is a community of about 2,000 people, um, much closer to Hayes. It's closer to a, a larger um, you know, city. And we were able to maintain a lot of our business just by selling locally to the Plainville community and that carried our staff salaries for Lucas as well. So getting all of those things in, in place really in the first two years were huge.
0: That's a lot to undergo in two years. So yes. much. Um, I can only imagine what was that, lo- that was like. What were some of the special moments or the highlights from that time?
1: Oh, from that time, honestly, I would say just surviving it. <laughs> that was a big highlight. Um, it, in the past five years, I would say the biggest highlight was getting the the store across the 100 year finish line. Um, we played such a small part in in that getting it um, to 100 years, but we we carried it across the finish line and that that felt great. Um, we were lucky to get to celebrate that in the Lucas community last summer with, um, with the brands. They, um, they were the grand marshals of the annual festival parade and we rode right behind them on the fire track with our son. So that was really fun to, um, to get to lead off the annual festival parade and, and really to have Doug and Linda recognized, but also to, to feel the warmth of the community and and feel supported. Um, that was a lot of fun. I would say, um, winning the awards that we've won have also been, um, huge. They're, they're important for you know marketing and and really kind of getting the word out about your business but they're also a huge boost for you mentally um when <laughs> and emotionally when you feel like you're putting in all of that hard work to to be recognized for it so you mentioned a couple of those awards um the Kansas Sampler Foundation award obviously was during the brand ownership years but the the department of commerce Um, retail business of the year award for the north central region that was ours in our own right and that felt really good Um, but I think that what has been the most fun for us and a major highlight of the business is that Adam has worked really hard to increase the product offering so when I lived in Kansas City there was a meat market that we often went to down in the east bottoms that we really loved and it had a lot of fresh product and steaks and really great ground beef and just different products like that that brands offered to a certain extent Um, but we felt like there was a lot more that a meat market in a rural agricultural area could be offering that it just wasn't yet Um, i think they did again at one time and they were kind of regulated out of a lot of it. So we spent a lot of time going through regulations and visiting with people at the state level and making sure we understood um, and getting slapped on the wrist a few times when we didn't quite understand and and had some learning to do. So I think that um, for us getting some of those awards for new products um, felt really good because while it was important to learn how to make all of the historic products, um, Adam taking time to develop recipes and processes and doing new things, um, and then getting recognized for that in his own right was um, really a big accomplishment. And I'm so proud of him for that. So in 2022, we went into our first Kansas Meat Processors Association um, product show and won grand champion that year for our beef sticks, which is not a product that the brand's ever made to my knowledge. That's one that Adam developed totally on his own. And then in 2023, we won the Grand Champion Award for a bone in shrub tam. And so that was another big win in our book to have developed HACCP plans for both of those products, to have, you know, tested and sampled and retested, you know, these recipes for years before we took them to that product show. And then to win the top prize was really exciting.
0: That is really awesome. And from what I understand about the, I, the I'll mess up the name, but the Kansas meat what is it? Processors Association. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say Meat Hackers. And I was like, that's not right. Meat Processors Association. That's a
1: that's a competitive competition. It that, is that competitive. Uh, and there are a lot do. of the same businesses come back every year. And sometimes they bring the same products and, and they're very well awarded. And other times, you know, you're up against brand new businesses and brand new products. And so it's always a little bit different every year. And um, I want to say last year, I know there were well over a 100 entries i can't remember how how many there were but it was a really well attended year and it was a lot of fun
0: that's awesome well congratulations on being recognized there i I know that it's well deserved i'm so glad you could join us today you can support the mission of the farming on purpose podcast and be part of the tribe dedicated to building ag legacies at farmingonpurpose.com slash shop You'll find apparel, office supplies, stickers, planners, and more, all inspired by the people living out ag legacies every day. What are some of the things that have been challenging over the years that you guys have been in ownership of the market? We've talked about a couple of them um, with the remodel and renovating the Plainville um, building and then regulations being a constant challenge. What were some of those
1: that really stood out to you? I would say the pandemic really created um, some some problems that we've had to overcome. I think that it was it was fairly smooth sailing the first two years, other than the fact that, you know, we we had to upgrade and get everything up to speed and up to code to keep the state happy. Um, but the price increases that we faced, um, we were fortunate not to face direct staffing issues. We didn't lose staff during the pandemic, but um Getting the right people into place, I think, became more difficult post pandemic. Um, Making sure that we were able to pay enough to keep people in place, that really became a challenge because, as you know, there's been a staffing shortage all over. And, you know, the the hourly rate has gone up and up and up. And, um, and so that's been a bit of a challenge to make sure that we are still cash flowing the business appropriately in order to pay the wages that we feel are um, not only comparative to other businesses in our area, but also fair because it is hard work working in our business and we want to make sure that we're paying fairly as well. So that's been a bit of a challenge. Um, just the day to day, you know, maintaining two locations, maintaining inventory between those two locations, that's always a challenge in making sure that we have good communication um, between the two locations where we're still working on that and still learning how to do it better. Um, really, honestly, increasing retail prices is never fun. And we inherited a business where it was passed down from generation to generation, which meant it really, to my knowledge, did not have debt. And we bought a business and we not only bought a business where we had debt on the front end, we had to spend a lot of time and money upgrading, um, opening the second location simply to, to get the bigger kitchen space. So we've taken on debt that the business never had in the past. And so figuring out how to make sure that our pricing is um, at the right levels to support not only our, our debt, but also to support the store continuing to grow. Um, that's been an experience, and we've been learning how to how to do that correctly. I would say I would tell any business owner to make sure you have a really good relationship with your CPA, <laughs> and making sure that you know where things stand. Um, Again, we've been fortunate to have parents that have both been entrepreneur. Are both sets of our parents have been entrepreneurs in their own right, and so we're able to ask questions constantly um, to all four of our parents, um, and, and asking them, you know, does this look right? What would you do? How would you handle this situation? Um, and and then facing the customers who have been long-standing customers who say, you know, just a few years ago, this ring baloney only cost this much. And having to explain, you know, the pandemic changed a lot of things. And unfortunately, we just we have to raise the price to this because there is no other alternative. We have to pay the bills or the business closes. <laughs> so trying to handle that gracefully. And it can be a challenge at times, as I'm sure any other retail business owner will tell you Um keeping things in stock has been a challenge at times and and I know that's one of the questions that that we've talked about addressing here and so maybe we'll dive into that next. but um, just getting people to understand that food products don't just magically appear on the shelf overnight. they you know there's there's a several day process that goes into that. and so that's been a challenge when when we run out of an item, how upset customers can sometimes get because we are not Amazon and we are not Walmart and the truck doesn't show up in the middle of the night and the stocks don't or the shelves don't get stocked at 6am. It's, it's just us.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about that. And then also you mentioned briefly the um, challenges with like deliveries of things uh, with UPS and FedEx, not even being able to, Ship out of your Lucas location, um, and the shipping rates being astronomical in rural areas—really just wild when you look at what they are compared to some other areas. Um, but yeah, what are some of the things that consumers really need to know about how food businesses work and about how how you how a rural
1: business operates versus what they might be getting used to elsewhere. I think that it's important for consumers to know that when you are in a rural area, you cannot receive the same um, the same products sometimes at all. So we frequently get asked, well, why don't you ship on dry ice? Believe me, we searched and searched and searched for a dry ice supplier and getting that to rural Kansas and then turning it around and getting shipments back out of rural Kansas in a timely manner just do not support the use of dry ice. Um, so we ship on gel ice, which obviously um, we're, we're actually lucky. We get that out of Kansas City, which is fairly local. It It isn't super expensive to get shipped to us. We can stock a ton of it for, you know, a year's supply. Sometimes we have ordered it once and then we just move it into the freezer and use it and keep replenishing it as we need it. So there is a really good reason why we don't ship on dry ice and why we use gel ice instead. But that does limit us. Um, it limits what we are able to ship. Um, and so we, we only ship the products that we feel can arrive safely um, to someone. And I think we have the disclaimer on our website still, but we also will call a customer if they place an order online, especially. Um, and it looks like it's going to be a four or five day ship time. We'll call them and say, you really need to expedite this shipment. This is not our price. Please know that this is the UPS cost um, of shipping this item today or even overnight to ensure that it arrives to you safely because of the temperatures, because of the, the lag time to get from here to you, it's going to cost X amount. And sometimes they go ahead and place the order and sometimes they do go ahead and cancel it. So getting consumers to understand that it's not as simple as just shipping on dry ice <laughs> um, is important. I think um, it would also be great if consumers understood what goes into our production process that we can't, like I said, just restock the shelves overnight, uh, that ordering ahead from your local meat market is really how that system used to work. Um, And it should still work so that we can get exactly what you want rather than us stocking a lot of product, putting it in the freezer and hoping that you come in to buy it. A meat market used to operate with the expectation that a consumer would come in, place the order for the week, and then come back later that week to pick it up. Um, and we try to tell at least all of our local customers that we are more than happy to do that. Come in, tell us what you need, we'll get it in stock for you, and we'll we'll set it aside for you. Um, but more importantly, that I wish consumers really understood, and we've started doing some more education on our Facebook page recently about this um, with really good reception. Honestly, we should have done it sooner that our handmade and smoked products take three to four days to get into the showcase. So there seems to be an expectation that we should never sell out. And that has been really tough to deal with. Um, We know that some customers do travel well out of their way To come to Lucas or to come to Plainville. Um, And so it is upsetting when we don't have the item that they came in for. Um, But we do often sell out of our most popular products like the ring bologna or one of our new recipes, the sweet bologna, the summer sausage. We'll sell out of those sometimes as quickly as two to three days. (laughs) And then we have to start the cycle over of getting things ready, you know, curing the meat putting it together, stuffing the sausage, putting it in the smoker, all of those things take three to four days before it hits the showcase again. So um, an- another question that we get asked a lot, especially more so in the Lucas store, but I've heard it in both stores, we have cheese just because it's a great complimentary product to our meats. And we often get asked, do you make the cheese yourselves? And its it's been shocking to us to hear that question because... The building that we're in is, especially in Lucas, so small. But even in Plainville, is small. And we are clearly not a facility that would have enough room to make meat products and to have an entire dairy, you know, cheese facility. And so, to to us, it seems like an obvious answer. But we we get asked frequently, "Do you make your cheese?" No, we do not. <laughs> we we order those in. We're lucky to have. Um, the the Alma creamery that we work with, especially for our gift boxes. So we do have Alma cheeses in stock um, often. Um, we've looked at working with some smaller producers, but of course, there's still that you know issue of regulations prevent them from wholesaling to us. And so we we can't work with as many local producers as we would like, um, but we get a lot of cheeses that come out of South Dakota and Wisconsin and they're great cheese and they've been cheeses that the brands stocked for a long time before us and will continue to stock. They just know they are not made in house. So I think that it would be good if consumers understood better where food really comes from. Um, and I think that the other piece to that is not just in consumers thinking of it as individuals, but if more businesses or schools or healthcare facilities understood. They could work with us, at least as far as working with raw meats. So ground beef or steak or, you know, other items like that. They they really could check with us first and at least check our pricing because we would love to supply them. We'd love to supply fresh, you know, ground beef to our local schools. We would love to supply, you know, fresh brats or things that we are allowed to sell wholesale under a state level of inspection to our local you know, businesses and, and often we don't even get asked. And so I think that we probably have some work to do on educating, but um, I just wish in general that that more people thought, hey, let's check with our local meat market and see if we can get a higher quality product for the same or a similar price point versus just ordering it off of a truck. And and I think that that's a habit that a lot of businesses have fallen into. We just order it off the truck every week and this is what we get.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. The The production at scale, I think, is what most consumers don't quite understand. Like you mentioned, like the sheer amount of space it takes to have a cheese making facility. Like, yes yeah. it's just they don't have that understanding or that background. And it's it's not to their fault. So it's probably good that they're asking the question. So you have yes. the opportunity to tell them that. But it really is, I think, one of the most surprising things that for a lot of us, the questions that never cross our minds, because we right. have that kind of like curse of knowledge, where it's obvious to us, we grew up around it, or we're so delved into that process.
1: that we're like, why are you asking me this? <laughs> but those exactly. are the questions that they really need to know the answers to. Exactly. So I mean, one example is during the pandemic, we we actually supplied ground beef in pretty large quantities to a local healthcare facility that could not get it elsewhere and they were desperate by the time they called us and and adam was surprised by that i was surprised by that you know why why did you call us out of desperation call us first we'd love to supply you with this and we did for several weeks and got them over that hump and then they never came back and so that was also upsetting um but i imagine that it probably came down to a, a budgetary um, decision. And and um, we were glad to be able to help them out, you know, in the situation that we did. But it's a good example, I think, of come to us first, not last. At least get the price, at least, you know. Sure. Exactly. So, but I do think that it, it's important to note, though, that we wouldn't even, under the current state regulations, we would not be able to do that on a wide scale basis. So we are capped at a, a limit of how much wholesale we can do under our state level of inspection. So let's say we picked up two or three local schools or healthcare facilities and started supplying them with, you know, raw product at wholesale, we would hit that cap really quickly. And so then we would have to stop and wait until the year finished out before we could reset um, and start selling it to them again. So that is something that, um, We are working on in our business and that's our definitely going to be our next main area of growth is getting our business moved into a federal level of inspection um we just felt that we weren't there yet when we bought the business due to space limitations due to equipment low you know limitations um and those are the things that we've been working on we've also been working with a third party now that will help us get all of the paperwork in place and get everything ready to go for a federal level of inspection, hopefully in 2024. And that will make a big difference for us in terms of growth potential is getting into that federal level of inspection.
0: And that's another thing that a lot of consumers and just people in general don't understand is one, the state regulations that are in place and the difference between the state regulations and the federal regulations and how big of a jump it requires to make it from one to the other, because it's not um, just a, okay, We'll we'll have the federal guy come out and inspect you instead to make sure
1: it's a lengthy process. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that is? So I'm probably the wrong person to ask my husband knows a lot more detail about the differences between the inspection levels since I don't deal with that directly. But from what I understand, you know, the state level of inspection, we we submit our plans to the state. They definitely review those. And we have a great relationship with uh, several people at the state level and at K-State who Adam can reach out to at any given time and they're helpful and they walk him through things and we make sure that we have what we need in place. But we get inspected maybe once a year. Um, Sometimes we are inspected, you know, an extra time or two. It just depends. But for the most part, it's once a year. When you switch to a federal level of inspection, every single time that you make a product that needs to meet those federal level requirements in order to wholesale. So for example, we make ring baloney weekly. We want it to be federally inspected so that we can wholesale it to restaurants. We've been asked to to supply it for charcuterie boards by a lot of different restaurants, um, breweries, distilleries. We've been asked by a lot of different types of businesses, hey, I'd like to put this on my charcuterie board. We can't. So if we were to take that product to a federal level of inspection, they would have to supply an inspector to be on site every time we make it, which is weekly, um, while we're making it, which like I explained before, it takes up to three days before we get it to the packaging point on the fourth day. So it, it requires a federal inspector to be at our facility at all times. We have to supply that inspector with their own office space. Um, some facilities have to supply a shower. I don't think we have to do that just because we aren't slaughtering. And so there there are some details there that I'm not entirely clear on that I'm sure Adam could Could tell you, but the main thing that I am aware of is that an inspector has to be on site every time you make that product. So we would be basically bringing an inspector in from an annual basis to an almost daily basis. And that's no small feat. (laughs) No small feat, no. And, you know, I think that uh, it makes sense. And we understand why the regulations came into play. A lot of it came about when the large meatpacking plants um, really came um, into business and, if those those regulations are there for a reason. They're there to protect us as consumers. They're there to make sure that meat is safe. Um, but when you are a small business and you are serving your local community, you are doing everything in your power to make sure that your product is not only high quality, but that it is safe. We would never want to hurt anyone. There's a, there's a much different level of care um, that goes into those products for small businesses. And so I wish that there were a way for the the government to figure out how to regulate a small business like ours, apart from a large meat packing facility, because they really are entirely different businesses,
0: completely different. And anyone who looked at the businesses comparatively would see that immediately, um, yes. or at least to have
1: some stair step levels between the two that that would just yes. make it a lot more doable. Right now, the gap is very wide. And for a small business with a much lower level of production, with a much smaller staff, with a much smaller budget to try to keep up with a large meatpacking facility, it's it's difficult.
0: And that's challenging, I'm sure, as a business owner to know that you are being limited in that way when you know that you could be selling those products and that people are craving and wanting and asking for those products. And you're
1: just like, well, I can't. It's very frustrating. And especially when you know that if you could be wholesaling more... Even if you're selling it at a lower price, you're eliminating the the overhead cost of retailing it. It's less freezer space. It's less fridge space. It's, you know, fewer um, employees needed to sell it out the front door. And um, it it really is a good business decision to be able to wholesale those products directly to schools and restaurants and healthcare facilities and anyone who may want it. Um, But it's incredibly frustrating to have to repeatedly say, we're so sorry, we can't sell that to you. Um, One thing that we haven't talked a whole lot about yet is
0: relationships with the locker or farmers and ranchers who are producing the protein, the beef, the pork that you guys need for your products. What
1: has your sourcing and that kind of relationship building been like? I think because we bought a business where we transitioned from prior ownership, those relationships were mostly already in place. So that was a smooth transition. Um, Most of our vendors have done a very good job of taking care of us. We still work with the same locker that Doug Brandt worked with. Um, My husband speaks directly with the owner of that locker um, every Monday morning. It's like clockwork. If the phone rings between eight and 8.30 AM, we know who it is. Um, and so that's been seamless, in my opinion. Um, we've also worked directly with the same distributor that that Doug Brant worked with, and that's continued to go well. We've added a second distributor with the Plainville location. We were able to bring in another distributor. Um, again, that was one that we personally had a prior relationship with. Um, and those people change over time, um, but it at least got us in the door. We were working with someone we knew. Um, and and it's continued to be a great backup for us. If we need something, and we can't get it on our, you know, early in the week delivery, we can get it later in the week in Plainville. Um, and so that's been pretty seamless. the The other thing that the Plainville location has really allowed us to do is bring on local beef. Um, that's something that it's really what the store originated from was you know i have these written histories that are amazing to read about the brant family and how they used to go directly out to the local ranchers and and go not only um slaughter the cow themselves but i mean they would work directly with the farmer get it bring it in they would drive to russell at like three in the morning to get ice for the day go back to lucas i mean those sorts of things where it was very localized um, originally are we've tried to bring a little bit of that back in. So we work with um, two producers, one out of Brooks County. Um, we work with another one out of Norton County from time to time, and so it's been really nice to bring in um, some of that local beef. We we haven't switched over to doing large amounts of local beef just because it would bottleneck. I mean, the the number of products that we make on a weekly basis require us to have specific cuts of meat. If we buy the whole cow, we have learned very quickly that there are parts of that cow that don't go into our products that we then have to find other uses for. And so, um, so it works better for us to bring in those those loins or to bring in primal loins or to bring in clods of meat and to to get exactly what we need in order to keep the business running smoothly um but we are working more with local ranchers as much as we can um and we do have to vet them we want to make sure that it's the quality that we would want for our business um and that's not to say that you know it that every rancher in the area isn't trying really hard to produce quality beef. It's just that we want ours to be of a certain grade or, you know, we're looking for certain breeds because it might be more tender than another breed. So those are the things that we're looking for when we're considering who to work with locally. But in all, we've had really great relationships and and we've been lucky that some of those just transitioned directly to us.
0: That's amazing that you guys are able to use some local beef in your program because that's a, a challenging thing to do when you're producing that volume of product to have, you know, steers that are finishing on a consistent schedule for you to have them ready to be turning into your bologna and your sausage and all of those things. Like that's that's a real challenge for a producer to manage, let alone for you
1: to source that. Right, and that's why we really don't source local beef for those products. When we source Mm -hmm. local beef, it's going to be for ground beef, for steaks, for things like that. Um, Now we have put some local meat into summer sausage, which is a new product we've been making. Um, It went over very well. Um, That was one of our products that the first batch we made, we sold out in two or three days. Um, but that goes to tell you that if you take the time and you're willing to work with someone to to go that extra mile for a locally raised, um, it was a Wagyu summer sausage that we made, um, how well received it will be by the end consumer. That's-,
0: That's pretty incredible. That takes a lot of work and a lot of planning to be able to do some things like that. So, yes, uh oh, goodness. Um, well, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you before we get started wrapping up here um, is what advice you would give to yourself if you could talk to yourself within the last five years?
1: I would tell us both to stay calm. Um, <laughs> so many little things will not go your way and it will be okay. I I think that any business owner um, you know, if something goes wrong during the day, it's very easy to get lost in the weeds of feeling like this is a huge problem. And really it is not, It, it stay calm. We can address this. And the big picture is that the business will continue on tomorrow.
0: Yeah, some of those um, daily challenges can make you feel like it's a big spiral of this
1: is the end. It's like, no. It's overwhelming very quickly. Um, but if you stay calm, things tend to work out. If you have good communication, it will work out and everything will be fine. Absolutely.
0: What is coming up next for you guys? What are you most excited that it's coming down the pike?
1: Well, in the immediate future, we have our holiday season coming up, so um, that's definitely our busiest time of year. It's something that the Brandt family started with um, shipping holiday boxes for folks. So um, they actually, because they were in Lucas and they were limited to Lucas, as we've talked about, with you know the UPS or FedEx would not pick up, they would load boxes and boxes into the back of a pickup truck, drive them two blocks down the street to the U.S. Postal Service and put them in the mail. And that's how we did it the first year, because like I said, we wanted to learn their process and try to figure out ways that we could innovate or improve. And so... With the Plainville location, we are able to ship. Um, UPS picks up from us daily if we ask them to. Um, we, We have several holiday boxes. We just got them updated on our website. So we have a couple of different levels. We have like a classic gift box that has some of our most popular products. We have a premium gift box that has a few more products. And we have what we call this year, I think, the butcher block box, which has a couple of fresh steaks, some of our smoked pork chops that have been really, really popular. It's one of the items we've come out with recently. Um, And we move a lot of boxes. There are some days that we ship out over 100 boxes in one day. So um, the time that it takes to put those together and um, get them packed and get them ready and out the door, it's really a lot. But we look forward to it every year because we know that... That time frame, November and December, is really what gives us a boost into into the new year and keeps the business running strong. Very, very cool. Well, beyond that, I would I would say that you know what we're most looking forward to um, in twenty twenty four would be working toward that federal level of inspection that we talked about. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That'll be a big step and really cool really cool.
0: Um, Well, for anybody who's looking to shop small this holiday season, I hope you guys can check out uh, Brands Markets website and see those gift boxes. And for anybody who is shopping local, just I think it's important for us to remember to be patient with small businesses because it is, like you said, a huge time of year and very stressful to be increasing your products that much and have that much extra going on in addition to all the other activities you do it daily as a small business owner. Um, so can you tell us where people can follow you guys online or find you online? And if they do get the lucky opportunity to stop by for
1: the first time, what do you suggest that they try first? Absolutely. So you can find us at brandsmarket.com Um, Brants is spelled B-R-A-N-T-S. We do not have a D. Um, That's the German spelling. So remember, we're Czech. You can find us also on Facebook. Um, We're very active on Facebook. We try to post at least once a week um, and and let you know what's going on or what's new in store. We're also on Instagram, not as active there, just not as strong of a following. So sometimes we just simply don't have time to update the Instagram, but it is there. Um, If you come in store, um, as we've talked about, We have locations in both Lucas and Plainville. Both are downtown. You can find the addresses on our website. And if you've never been in, definitely ask for a sample of the bologna or the pepper sausage. Those are some of the long-running brands, famous recipes. We'd also love to have you try our beef sticks, um, one of the recipes that that we've um, brought in on our own, or our summer sausage or sweet bologna.
0: Well, wonderful! Thank you so much, Ashley. My very last question before I send you off today is: What has got you fired up? Oh man, fired up in a good way. <laughs> fired up. Hey, you get to choose whatever you want to tell us about today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I I would say what what has us motivated right now um, is is just knowing that we've made it through the first five years of owning a business. They always say that, that that's the real test is making it through five years. And it, it happened without us really realizing it. It's been a busy year for us. We, um, um, welcomed a second family member or second child this summer. And so it sort of blew right past it without us even thinking about it. But, um, we're really motivated right now to keep innovating, keep bringing in new products and, um, to meet customer demand as, as best we can. So if if there is a product that someone listening would love for us to take on or try to make, it's a challenge that we love accepting and, and we hope that you'll reach out to us. Awesome. Well, congratulations
0: on five years in business. Best of luck pursuing the federal um, regulation status in 2024. We'll be thinking of you you. guys and watching for those um, new wholesale opportunities. So thank thank you you so much for being here today, Ashley. I appreciate it. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or join the conversation on social media. Do you have a topic you would like to discuss or know someone with a story to share? Apply to be a guest on the podcast at farmingonpurpose.com. You can follow the host of Farming On Purpose, Lexi, on your favorite social media platforms for more content by searching for Farming On Purpose. And remember, if you look around your table and aren't inspired by the people there, it's time to find a new seat.